The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you, Patria? You were on vacation a little bit there. I was. I got a little over a week off. I took off and went down to Long Island to visit family, who I haven't seen in much too much time. And it was absolutely fabulous. It was really good quality family time. And I got to introduce my one and a half year old niece and three year old nephew to bikes. Ooh. Yeah, this was this was a very special thing. I, I expected my niece just based on seeing her videos and pictures my brother sends to me that she's she seems to be aggressive in nature in a sweet, very <laughs> Very sweet way, but she looks strong. And so I, I was really looking forward to seeing how she would take to being on a bike. And my nephew, I figured when she does something, he's going to go right along. He's a little bit more timid. And being the first child, I think he's heard the don't do this, don't do that. Parents trying to keep him safe. Oh, and then, uh-huh. of course, the youngest is going to not have quite as much of that. Um, they Both children are, are loved to little pieces, which is terrific. So getting them out there. And basically, I had this little balance bike, so no no pedals on the balance bike, put both kids on it and push them around. So I was pushing the, the handlebars and uh-huh. running behind them. They shrieked in delight. Absolutely <laughs> so, so happy to be out there. And after a couple laps around their, their yards, I mentioned something about a helmet. And my nephew at three says, oh, I need a helmet to protect my head. Wow. <laughs> How did you know that? So uh, both kids were happy to put on helmets. And then we just did that quite a few times during during the last week. It was it was really, really fun to experience that and see how much they took to it at mm-hmm. that age. Like wow. that, that joy of riding yeah. doesn't have to come from pedaling a bike, just being on a bike and feeling that that flying Whatever it is that makes you love cycling, I think they could feel it at their young ages. Yeah. Awesome. I'm curious now getting a three-year-old on a balance bike, not that hard. There are plenty of models that'll fit your average three-year-old, but an 18 month old, you know, getting, getting somebody that small onto one is a, is a real challenge. I mean, Strider is the only brand I know of. I'm curious what you chose for them. I found that also in my research that Strider would be the lowest for for the youngest. I found a sun bike and basically it was the most available to me. And I figure both kids will be able to use it. So right now, the one and a half year old is too short for it. Her feet don't don't touch the ground, but she's getting <laughs> she's getting the, the, jo- the joy of being out there. And I think hopefully crossing my fingers, her parents continue to push her around it and, and, and continue to scratch that that itch and her her legs will grow long enough 
quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And then and then my nephew's going to have to get the hang of that, too. Like that, there's a lot of logistics and a <laughs> lot of motor control involved with the balance bike that I never appreciated till I saw them trying to just hold the bike up and mm-hmm. getting their mm-hmm. leg over it and all that stuff. So that's really neat seeing seeing the young ones taking to it and then having that that interest. Yeah. And right before I left, I felt I felt like the best aunt in the whole world until it was the day I had to leave. And my niece runs over to the bike and pats the seat and says, bike, like, take me out on this bike. And I had to leave and I couldn't take her out. And I I, I went from feeling great to feeling terrible. <laughs> well, you know, it's not like you took the bike with you. So, you know, <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. I mean, because next time you're there, she's probably going to want you to be at, back out there with you. Yes, exactly. It's going to be great to keep getting both kids out there. So that was that was really neat. And I also took my own bike, took my gravel bike to the trails on Long Island. Uh-huh. And that was a very special experience. I did not realize how neat the trails would be out in a place like Long Island. They have an exceptionally good group of cyclists and people who take care of the trails. The, the association is called Climb. And they have really smooth, swoopy trails that just wonder wonder go under miles so i was really pleased to find those and almost immediately after getting out on one of the trails a really nice cyclist i happened to intersect with which there weren't many people on the trails uh and that was that was great just having him out there to myself and this cyclist told me all about how the trail network worked how to find more trails he told me about the bike shop where he worked and he just offered all this information within about two seconds of saying hello out there wow. so that was that was great i felt immediately welcomed into the community and just this really short interaction that i didn't even ask for so and this gentleman's name is is todd and i i plan on looking up his shop next time i'm down there i didn't have a chance this time but just having that experience really made me feel good that I know when I go back there, COVID hopefully will be a thing of the past and there Mm -hmm. will be a group to ride with. Awesome. Well, you know, credit where due and, you know, uh, shout outs being what they are. Uh, What's the name of the shop? So people know. Good question. I will put it in the show notes. I don't remember. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I got his name down and I wrote down the name of the shop. So uh, yes. So it's, it's really nice to know like people out there are, really conscious it seems like their community is terrific and having this many people out there I mean, it's a big population on long island and there's a lot of houses you wouldn't necessarily guess there are really good trails they are really neat excellent shows out there so yeah so that that was my last week really nice to have a break being in the retail world right now is extremely intense and everyone who has been working in retail either has taken a break because it was almost medically necessary or are getting ready to take a break, whether or not they are going to purposely be taking it because it's just the intensity in bike shops is tremendous right now. So, so it was very, very good. Well, I can imagine if you don't get it before Thanksgiving, you're not going to get it before the first of the year. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) You take it when you can get it. And and this was very special time. But what about you? What have you been up to? We haven't talked in too long. Yeah, well, you know, getting out, doing some rides. <clears throat> Pardon. Uh, we actually got rain here on Friday, so fire season is over. Hooray! Congratulations. 
Oh my gosh, we've got more rain coming tomorrow. So it's my hope that after you and I finish recording, I'll be able to get this mixed quickly and get out for a quick spin before I'm forced to either not ride or do Zwift tomorrow. Uh, Mm. But, you know, hey, that's fine. But man, Saturday's ride after the rain, Mm. all the dust was done. It was hero dirt everywhere. (laughs) That's glorious. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really nice. Uh, the other trail system that I like to ride on out in West County, uh, we closed those trails, uh, on Saturday, they were open Sunday, but I didn't find that out after I'd already chosen not to go out there. Dang. (laughs) Uh, but they will close again tomorrow because of the rain. Mm. And, uh, I think that may have a little something to do with your poll coming up later. Yes. And I'll be interested in hearing more about that trails opening and closing. That's a new concept to me. Uh, well, before we get to my poll, something I wanted to mention, uh, the Sea Otter Classic has just announced their dates for 2021. They're moving the event to May uh, out of late April. So it's essentially four weeks later than it used to be, May 20th to 23rd. And the funny thing is, you know, on one hand, I go, oh, OK, you know, that's nice. And then the very next thought I have is like, not really well, how much sunnier and how much hotter is it going to be at that point in the year? It's, well, will it even happen because of COVID? Right. That's a good question. <laughs> do, do you know why they changed the dates and pushed it later? I haven't had a chance to look at that. Uh, I suspect that uh, being able to make it even more outdoorsy than it is and, mm. you know, just better weather further from flu season. That's my <laughs> imagination. But I am a creative sort and I, I invent all sorts of things. So I could be way off base. Uh, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> so and other I'll events may that. have already been canceled for that time, too. So that might have opened up the calendar a little bit more. Uh, certainly. Certainly. I mean, they owned that week of, of April. Uh, so it's not like they, you know, I could see any reason for them to need to move it. Uh, but if... To the degree that uh, warmer, you know, weather closer to summer is going to help us put on events as opposed to, you know, what we sometimes deal with in the spring here in California. If that's helpful, then terrific. Uh, It's funny how that event, I mean, originally it was in March uh, and there were like three years in a row where it was like 50 degrees and raining and often raining sideways, windy, and they moved it to April. And there were a number of years there where still it was like, well, this isn't really stellar weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's the weather's following the event, basically. <laughs> Something like, yeah. So uh, if anything's going to assure that it won't rain sideways, um, the third week of May would would be pretty well guaranteed to do that. Uh, and maybe that's their whole reason for moving it. But the last few years I went, we didn't have any problems with rain or anything. It's such a neat event. I really miss it. I do look forward to its return. Uh, but you know, like I've said, once the introverts are going, man, I got to get out of here. I miss people. That's when you know (laughs) there's a problem. It's true. You're right. You called it. Well, we'll all collectively hope it can happen this year or next year, 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Alrighty, so my poll this week, uh, I've begun hearing from PR agencies that I deal with. Uh, they've begun sending out all their suggestions for Chris- Christmas 
wish lists. And my reaction to these emails is a decidedly mixed bag. I struggle with them on one hand because at a certain level, they are based on raw consumerism. It's the holidays. Go buy something. Hooray, capitalism. I really, really hate that. At the same time, I don't really begrudge my friends at the PR agencies for doing this because, well, they are being paid to do exactly this job of get people, getting people excited about the products made by the companies that they represent. That is the gig. Uh, but I really do absolutely hate raw consumerism and even worse, conspicuous consumption. I'm not someone who goes shopping as a form of recreation. Never have been that person. I am aware, though, that as a writer who reviews bikes, gear and apparel, it might sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm you not do, sure which the Yeah, you do get to play with a lot of nice toys. <laughs> I do. I'm, you know, no doubt there. And I do enjoy that. Um, I'm, you know, I am very well aware of the perception that many cyclists have of the cycling media, that we exist for no reason other than to convince riders that they need more stuff so that we can ingratiate ourselves to the bike companies that advertise with us. Honestly. That's one reason I decided to launch the Cycling Independent. I want my readers and our listeners to have confidence in me that when I decide to recommend a product, and this goes well beyond just a good review, that I'm not doing so in order to garner some sort of kickback or just continued advertising. I really don't want anyone to think I'm blowing smoke, so I will go ahead and cop to the reality that I am, just as you mentioned, a bona fide gearhead. I get excited to try new stuff. That is absolutely true. I don't want to be perceived as lying about that. However, there is a whole lot of new stuff that makes me go, nah. Here's why I do like to review everything from bikes to bib shorts to the new gravel bike dropper post from Crank Brothers. A superior product can alter your ride experience. I absolutely firmly believe that. It's easier to illustrate this in categories than with specific products. Uh, so take the aforementioned thermal bibs from a previous show. They've been around for pros in Europe since the early 2000s, uh, but I wasn't able to lay my hands on a pair until like 2009 or 10. And on a cold day, they are worth more than a gallon of hot chocolate. That's a good example. Yeah. I've got plenty of readers who are riding fantastic, hand-built steel and titanium road bikes. I wouldn't dream of telling them to sell those bikes, though I might recommend updating the components. While my personal feeling is that better brakes, more gears, lower gears, better ergonomics, smoother shifting, not to mention reduced weight makes a pretty compelling argument. I can certainly see how some folks will look at all that and respond, yeah, but my bike works fine. So instead, I'll use a different example to illustrate my point. The mountain bike I rode for most of the 1990s was a Merlin titanium hardtail. Uh, Rob Vandermark had a hand in that bike. Seriously cool, okay? But it had 21 speeds, cantilever brakes, 26-inch wheels, 1.7-inch 
1.75 inch wide tires, a 130 millimeter stem. You're kidding. <laughs> I am not. I am not even close to kidding. You're looking uh, for a road position on this mountain bike, apparently. Well, that's what we did back then, mm-hmm. you know? And the handlebar was 10 centimeters lower than the saddle, and it had no suspension until 1994. And even then, the fork only had 60 millimeters of travel. <laughs> the bike was pr- practically designed to stop dead anytime it encountered a rock and tossed me over the bar. Hell, even roots could do that. <laughs> so, by comparison, today's mountain bikes offer more suspension to float over rocks, full suspension designs that pedal efficiently, 29 inch wheels that don't stop when they encounter a rock or a root or tree, wider tires for better traction and improved flat resistance. Let's not forget about going tubeless. Longer top tubes to get the front wheel farther in front of the rider. Shallower head tube angles for calmer handling at speed. Shorter stems to keep the rider position more upright and handling responsive. Dropper posts so the rider can lower their center of gravity on steep descents. Not to mention lighter weight carbon fiber frames and alloy components for reduced weight lower and wider ranging gears and hydraulic disc brakes so you can actually control the bike at 30 miles per hour. So when I consider the riding I do today, the speeds I go, the terrain I will occasionally fly over as opposed to on, and the frequency with which I crash, which is almost never now, where's some wood? Um, yeah, right. Uh, I joked that it's a wonder that I even liked mountain biking 25 years ago. Today's mountain bike is truly a thing of wonder when compared to the bikes we started with in the 1980s. You know, and I could start all of that over with gravel bikes. You know, so mm-hmm. much of that applies there as well. Uh, I think about some of the dirt roads that I would try in Western Massachusetts and get to a certain point and there was too much rock and I would turn around and go back. And now it's like, Oh my gosh, that stuff I would fly over on today's gravel bikes. Right. Ultimately, what I'm looking at is how better equipment and apparel can improve my ride experience. If the only mountain bike I had was that old Merlin, I can tell you I'd do a lot less mountain biking. But with my Ibis Ripmo uh, or any of the test bikes I ride, I get back from rides with a silly grin. It improves not just the ride. But a great ride improves my day and it builds from there, right? So in my mind, a better bike can make for a better ride and a better ride makes for a better day. And if you string enough better days together, what you end up with a better life. That's something I truly believe. You're absolutely right. Well, so where any of us are, I, well, I, everyone <laughs> has the reasons for being in this business, but that's absolutely the reason why I'm sell bikes for a living. It's that is <laughs> well, I was just going to say it. Yeah. I'm aware that I'm talking to a retailer. Your entire business is based on selling more bikes, but I know that you have a, a moral compass in this that is more than just, like I said earlier, consumerism. And so I'm curious, is there anything I shared that you would differ with? That's a great question. I, I fundamentally everything that you said is absolutely right that components it really it comes down to me is components have driven what's possible in bikes for example Mm -hmm. 
a 26 inch Merlin mountain bike is constrained by the fact that wheels were 26 inch back then. So frame builders are constrained by what the wheels are that are offered, what the brakes are that are offered. Now that there's disc brakes, there's wider tires, there's much better wheel selection uh, through axles now make that whole mountain biking experience better. And all the things that you mentioned, those are ways of allowing the frame builder to make the best bike. And then you can extend that. So what you're finding on your Ibis, for example, now take that experience and put it on, say any, any frame with all of the components that you need for this updated riding experience which you want the, the speed and the flow and all those sorts of things, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel that possibly even more if you put that on, say, I'm not biased or anything, but a titanium frame. <laughs> and the one, the one part that I would differ on is weight. Something that titanium brings to the table is low weight and durability. And I've seen a lot of mountain bikes that weigh more in carbon fiber than a titanium bike because titanium inherently comes with the durability without having to beef up the tubes in any meaningful way with Mm -hmm. the carbon fiber, those tubes and all that the frame has to be overbuilt in order to be durable enough to land on rocks and to be able to get dumped over every now and again, even though you're not crashing anymore, you still have to have (laughs) that bike a little overbuilt. So it often will come out that a carbon frame will be heavier than a titanium frame steel will still typically be heavier but i've certainly seen instances of steel frames being built lighter than a carbon fiber frame so it's it's hard to say for you you can't generalize across the board in any way one frame material to another but fundamentally you can have the components you get to have the tires you need the technology you need to make this bike ride well and now any frame builder can build a frame that matches that and offers that ride quality that you're looking for. And now updated geometries. It's what are you looking for? There's certainly a 130 millimeter stem sounds long on a mountain bike. (laughs) And and, and going shorter has certainly been better going very, very short. That's going to the enduro world where the enduro world is having a really large impact on mountain bikes Where it depends where you live. What kind of mountain biking are you doing? And I think that's something else to think about. Some of this new technology, is it being built in California? Which I think there's a lot of mountain bike designers who live in California and Colorado who are building mountain bikes, designing them. And they're not designing mountain bikes for New Englanders. New England mountain biking is very different than uh, Western mountain bike riding with long, long descents that go on for a long time. So, so equipment, you call it, new, equipment requirements are different depending yep. on where you're at. So, so yeah, so you have different experiences there. So long story short, fundamentally giving somebody a better ride is, is the name of the game. That's exactly like as a retailer, I wouldn't do, I, I, I could do a lot of other things in my life than sell bikes. <laughs> I, I sell bikes because I really love it. When I see somebody go out on a bike and just say, that was the most fun I have ever had. That was great. And every single time that person goes out to ride, the bike's working, they're happy, 
And it adds up to all of these days that you're describing that string together a whole bunch of great days in your life. (laughs) Your life is better and it's been worth every dollar that you paid for that bike. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the other things that I really love about cycling is that, you know, okay, fine. You buy a new bike, big investment. But once you amortize that over, say, just six years, you know, lots of people will own a bike 10 years, but uh, say you own a bike six years, that per ride cost for that bike, it, well, it's not a yoga class, that's for sure. You know, maybe if you turn a bike over in two years, but then you're still getting a fair resale cost out of it. But you got to turn a bike over quickly for that bike to cost anything like what, you know, three times a week yoga classes will run you. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that part of our uh, value proposition. Absolutely. I talk about that all the time. It's, yeah. it's not uncommon. I tend to sell between $4,500 and $12,000 bikes generally. And to have that value proposition conversation, it's to me, it's pretty straightforward. Like you're going to be using this bike for potentially 20 plus years and yep. you're going to need to replace the chain. You're going to have to put a little bit of money into it, but it's going to work great. The frame is still going to be as good 20 years from now as it was the first day. Now that, that says a lot and it's always yeah. there for you. So, yep. and then, Hey, yeah, it's, it, it, there's just so much to that. It's a, it, that's a whole nother thing. Like how, how worth cycling is it in your life? You get to hang out with friends. You are doing something healthy. It's a connection. It's, it's the, you felt good today just mm-hmm. because you got outside and breathed fresh air. It's just so much of that. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm suddenly reminded of a question that a friend of mine asked me on a ride, so our standard Sunday morning ride uh, years ago. And uh, we we're on our way back into Manhattan Beach. We're on this frontage road looking out at the ocean. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. And he turns to me, he's like, Patrick, you're gainfully employed. You're reasonably intelligent. You're a cyclist, so you're not bad looking. Uh, how come you're single? And I was like, are you new here? I mean, do you know what my social life is? It's over by nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, a big, big chunk of my social life is spent in and around other cyclists and uh, regrets zero or or negative one. You know, it's, I love being around bike people. I do too. I do too. I've found the most genuine, wonderful people in this world. It's just across the board. And I feel like it's just, it's the easiest way to move to a new place. Uh, when I moved to Boston, I walked into the bike shop and I didn't want to leave. It, it was <laughs> instant connection with a group ride that came in. This group ride came in. It was a cold, horrible day. And they were all so happy. They just had this ride. Nobody had crashed on ice. They felt really happy with themselves. And they included me in the conversation. It was just instant. And this is a place I can stay. And I ended up doing a lot of group rides with some of those same people at that table that day. And I look back on that a lot. And that gentleman, Neat. Todd, who I met in the in the woods on Long Island. But there we go. There's the community. Snap. Mm-hmm. It's quick. It's easy. Other people who move into a community. It's hard to find that now. It's it's so much easier with cycling. So, yes, it, I, <laughs> I owe cycling a lot. And I feel like selling bikes gives back a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. 
Alrighty, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patria, what's your pull this week? Along the trail riding topic, it's especially nice when the weather's cooler, since it's warmer off-road to get into the trails. We've been talking a lot about trail riding lately. You've been talking about mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am interested. You mentioned that your trails got closed. So when it rains, someone actually turns the switch and says the trail is closed. But how does that <laughs> yes. work? Yes. Yes. So I'm a member of this club that has access uh, to a parcel of land that's owned by a logging company. And uh, the president of our club has a responsibility to go out and inspect the trails. Uh, He lives very nearby. He goes out and he inspects the trails uh, following rain. And uh, depending on how much rain we get, maybe it's just a couple of trails are closed and we'll we'll get an email saying, hey, uh, stay off Seven Springs or stay off Fern Springs uh, or Panties was one of the ones in this week's email. And we get the email and, uh, you know, we will abide by the honor system. Every now and then somebody runs afoul of that. Maybe it's because they didn't see the email. Uh, maybe it's because they just had a Jones and they were going to ignore it anyway. After a really, really big storm, they actually switch the padlock on our gate Um, there's what we have, uh, called the wet lock, which only our club president, I don't know if it's keyed or combination because I don't ever bother to go over when the wet lock is on. I see the email and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to ride Annadelle or go for a road ride or something, but there's a different lock that goes on that absolutely keeps us out. Um, if, if there's been a whole lot of rain and so, yeah, it's a, it's a real community effort. Part of being a member of this club uh, also requires that you put in trail days to -hmm. help either maintain uh, the existing trail system or work on developing new trails. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting system. So there's nothing that I know of like that out here. And I think it's it's definitely more nebulous as to when one should be on trails, when one should be off trails or not should be on trails you should always you should always be on trails unless it's unless you're not supposed to be on them for the for the health and well-being of the trails or or for other other reasons so we're hearing more and more about covid cases increasing unfortunately and as as it was before with the previous shutdown in the spring people went out to the trails in droves on foot and on bikes. We certainly saw a lot of new riders out on the trails. So in general, this was all a very good thing 
but there were a lot of people on the trails who don't know anything about taking care of the trails. So it's, this is some of what has inspired today's poll. The trail conditions are variable, especially as you mentioned with the rain and out in colder climates with snow. So we're going to discuss how to figure out when it's good to ride on the trails and when not to. First, responsible riding has been defined by IMBA. This is the International Mountain Biking Association. These guidelines should be observed by all cyclists, whether you're mountain biking, fat biking, gravel riding, or any, any kind of riding. I also suggest to anyone who's listening to this who's a walker, anyone who would use the trails for horseback riding, for instance, think about trail health. It is very, very important. We will include a link to the IMBA website on the show notes. So I'd like to pick out the lesser known guidelines and offer some practical advice on trail use. There's a lot more out there. So definitely check out the website and see what what they have to say. There's there's a lot of good. Certainly there's a lot of common sense. And then there's definitely some other advice that's not quite as common sense. So cyclists need to yield to walkers and horseback riders. Hopefully that's fairly obvious. However, with horses, many people don't know how to ride or interact with horseback riders. Horses are very, very skittish. And you have to be extremely careful how you manage yourself near horses. I was on a mountain bike ride and I must have been 200 yards or more away from a horse with a horseback rider on it. I accidentally, I didn't accidentally, I, I just came to a stop and because it was wet out a little bit, my disc brake squeaked and that horse started to buck. And oh, good grief. The rider luckily was able to get control of the horse, but the rider could have been thrown off the horse. I was very far away. I, I was impressed by the sensitivity of the horse's ears. So now if I ever need to come to a stop, one, obviously I know if my brakes are going to make any noise, but I'll stop in any way that avoids squeaking, squealing, disc brakes. So you want to make verbal contact with the horseback rider. To say, hey, I'm here, you can shout, you can be loud, try to do it from a distance, and then ask that person how you should proceed. So get get into good communication with the rider, and rider horseback riders always appreciate that, and that helps the horse know that you're there, they're not going to get scared, and typically they'll say, go ahead and ride on by, but sometimes the horseback rider will say, yes, just stay there, they'll walk past you, and then you can continue on your ride. When you are descending you need to yield to climbing riders. So that means if you are the cyclist riding uphill, a descending rider should yield to you. Like I suppose when you drive, always be defensive. Don't expect someone to yield to you. They may not know to do that, but that is what what should be done. Some trails and even dirt roads are located in hunting areas. You might not want to ride in these areas for the obvious reasons of not wanting to be near people who are hunting with guns. Now, there's bow season and there's gun season. I, I personally don't worry at all about bow season because I feel that bow hunters need to have very a very clear sight on their prey. And they're going to be really obvious, like, OK, you're a cyclist. They're not going to shoot you because just they have to be so precise with an arrow. So I don't worry about that personally, 
but gun hunting obviously raises concerns. If you are in a gun hunting area or any hunting area, typically there are safety orange requirements of how much you need to wear on your body and sometimes on your helmet. So be sure you've got the necessary apparel on you. It is never a bad idea to be even more obvious with blinking front <laughs> and rear lights. <laughs> uh, just whatever makes you look not like a deer or other animal that people are hunting. Uh, it's it's good idea. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, with COVID being a concern, show your respect for other trail riders or users by riding with a mask on. Now, in Massachusetts, we're now required to wear a face mask outside at all times. So really? We are. Yes, this is new. I want to say this is about two weeks old now mm-hmm. that this requirement has been in place. So this technically means anytime you're outside, whether or not someone can see you, you're anywhere near another human being. A mask should be on your face. Oh, I've ridden for hours at a time with a buff over my nose and mouth as my mm-hmm. face mask when I've been riding with a friend is I've done a few rides with one other person and a couple rides with two other people. So for those rides, I've kept a buff up the entire time, unless I'm going to go drink, in which case I'll drop off the back or get far away from people to take a drink. And really dehydration is a problem on those rides <laughs> because it's, it's easy to forget to, dr- to drink because it takes a lot more work to get water in your mouth, but do keep your nose and mouth covered when you're near anyone, a lot of times you come around a corner, someone's there. You don't have a lot of time to put on. So just keep the mask on. It's being respectful. You could be helping to curb COVID. It's it's just it's a nice thing to do. Um, and it's not too hard when you're outside in fresh air. Usually in air, air enough air gets through masks. I've certainly heard enough people say I can't ride with a mask. There's no way I can ride with a mask. So try a different mask. Maybe there is a different mask solution. That would be more comfortable. But I've had great luck with, with buffs. Yeah. I really Good. do well with those. Right. I am curious, though, given that it's colder there and you've talked about an insulated buff. Yeah. It, does that make much of a difference for your breathing? I think, well, the insulated buffs I usually wear when it's chilly just because it's cold. Mm-hmm. So I'm really used to breathing through them. I wonder about how effective they are compared to the, the thinner buffs. In some ways, it feels like the the fabric might be a little looser woven in order oh, to make uh-huh. it warm. I'm, I'm not certain. And that's the problem with it's only one layer or maybe two layers of fabric. But in, in, in the interest of keeping people safe, I'm not certain how much that's keeping the droplets from. From getting yeah. out, but I'll do some testing and I will report back. And I'll let you know if I find some for the colder weather. Uh, we have cold weather collars that we sell at the shops, but uh, I'm not sure just with COVID how, how effective that would be. Uh, and sometimes I'm not sure either if something makes you feel like you're doing a good thing, but it's not necessarily keeping the droplets away. People can get too close, feeling like they're safe and protected. Mm-hmm. You don't want to encourage someone to get too close with something you're not certain of. So Keep your distance and then hopefully everything's fine. Yeah. So now IMBA has a lot of local associations that are associated with with IMBA. So in New England, it's the New England Mountain Bike Association, NEMBA. 
it's a huge organization. Lots of small communities have NEMBA chapters. So go there. And again, the, the internet is your friend. There's lots and lots of resources out there. So just spend some time searching for who's in your area, who is keeping up the trails and see what they advise. This goes from COVID. So they certainly offer recommendations on how to manage that and how to manage being out out on the trails, when to ride, when not to ride. When I look up the local trails here, you see the, the trails listed and they have uh, Facebook pages associate, associated with various areas. People will say, hey, went out this morning. Conditions were great. Good to go. You can put out a question. Hey, has anyone been at this trail? How do things look? Mm hmm. So that's that's a way of connecting with other people, hopefully find some writing partners and simply asking for for conditions. I mean, fundamentally, when we mentioned weather and rain, if the trails are wet, you probably don't want to be on them. Now, yeah. there's there's mist and, and light rain after the trails have been dry for a couple weeks. That's fine. That's that's not going to cause ruts that the. the, the Fundamentally, you do not want to cause a rut in the trail, nor do you want to cause premature erosion. That is what we're trying to prevent. So thinking about it that way, that's what you don't want to be doing. Yeah, standing water or trails that are wet enough that they're yeah. soft. Right, exactly. And then so in the fall, typically you might have really dry trails. It rains some but it drains quickly. The, the ground is warm. Those are going to drain quickly. Long Island, for instance, the trails are sandy. They drain faster. You can get out there faster after a rainstorm in Long Island than you can in the Boston area. In spring, the trails have been frozen over the winter, and then there will be some thaw on top that it's very hard for those trails to dry. There's, there's no place for the runoff to go. So when you see it's thaw on the top, and there's there's frozen ground underneath. Just any any of that moisture sits on top, and it, and those are the worst trails to ride. So typically in the <laughs> spring, we have a few weeks where you're not going anywhere near the trails. And unfortunately, it seems like there's always a rider or two out there who's decided to ride really fast on a wet day, and you see those ruts, and you'll <laughs> see that rut for a very long time. So a single rut is is a big problem. It's a, it's a great way of getting cyclists kicked off trails. So if you know anyone who you think is going to go out on a wet day, you say, hey, don't do that. Really call out anyone you think might be doing some damage to the trails because it can get all cyclists kicked off of your favorite trails. So it's, it's just so important to be thinking along these lines. And then if you think maybe it's OK don't even do it. Don't don't go near the trail because you're going to be tempted to do it. If there's <laughs> any question in your mind as to whether or not you should be on the trail, the answer is no, don't go on the trail. You can, however, go out to a nice dirt road. You can get nice and muddy and dirty and all those things that you've always wanted for your beautiful bike. And you're not doing any damage. There's no damage to be done on a dirt road. Cars will have done a lot more damage than your bike will ever do so so there's there's plenty of places to ride but definitely think dirt roads and non-sensitive trails and there's certainly a lot of non-sensitive trails around again this is connecting with your friends and finding out where those are 
like we're typically able to run mixed terrain rides all year by way of avoiding some of those sensitive trails. And then we do a lot of back roads, just neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Those are really fun. Mixed terrain rides, just taking in new neighborhoods is really neat. You get to see some new stuff. It's a different type of riding. So, so there's ways of avoiding it. You'd not have to be on the trails if you're tempted. So otherwise, oh, something I learned this past week. I use trail forks for the first time. Uh-huh. Trail forks is very popular. I call it website. I, I didn't get that familiar with everything, but mountain bikers are using this to show and log trails and whole routes entire rides are out there as well i noticed that users are very active in telling people after they've gone out and ridden the trails what the conditions are like it was how i found places to ride in long island i went to trail forks figured out some trails that looked good they were rated green blue black double black so and then people would also give their responses to what they thought about the trail like oh yeah this double black one shouldn't be double black it really should be be blue this is how i felt about the area those sorts of things so i found some nice community back and forth there lots of good information and then after selecting the ones that i wanted it went automatically to my garmin and away i went so i didn't have to spend too long figuring things out while on vacation i really didn't want to be spending time figuring out the trails but i did want to find some neat trails close to me yeah so so there that's that's another really Good place to go. I'll, I'm going to look forward to doing a lot more exploring on that. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of trail forks. Uh, it's been handy for trying to piece together uh, routes where I, you know, I knew some of the stuff, but not all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be very handy the next time I go back up to Mendocino to ride in Jackson State Forest because a big, big chunk of the trails there uh, are on trail forks. Um, yeah, really neat app. Uh, nice website. Yeah. Highly recommended. That's great. That's good to hear you use that. I've heard about it somewhat in the mountain biking community, but not that much. I haven't heard a lot about it yet, but it can tell that it's growing quickly. And now all of this stuff is things that gravel riders need to know also because gravel riding and mountain biking, like I was there on my gravel bike doing things that people call mountain biking and it was just great absolutely mm-hmm. gravel riding so all that stuff is is there as well yeah i would love to see them start incorporating more dirt roads as a, as opposed to being just single track trails um, yeah. i i suppose there's stuff beyond that well i know for a fact there's stuff beyond that there's some stuff in the mendocino national forest which are um uh, ohv roads that don't actually allow cyclists that are marked on there so uh, what is ohv uh, the, you know, uh, I have a vocabulary, I swear, you know, uh, motorsport stuff. Okay. Um, you know, any, yes. anything using gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And that yeah. cyclist should not be on. Yeah. Uh, allegedly there are rules. I've never looked into it, so I can't speak with any authority on this, but there are certain, uh, certain roads that are called out as being, uh, uh, not allowing cycling. Wow. Interesting. Speaking of one other thing I wanted to mention is riding illegal trails. Do not ride illegal trails. Now, how do you know what the illegal trails are? Typically, there should be a sign at the trailhead that says no cycling, no bike riding. 
And sometimes signs are hard to figure out what's what, because a lot of times the sign will basically say no, uh, no wheeled vehicles. That's not usually talking about cyclists. That's talking about the ATVs or cars. Mm -hmm. They're trying to keep motorcyclists out of those areas or any kind of motor vehicle. And there's also a lot of gray areas between e-bikes and just non-e-bike riders. So, yeah, so look for signs. Anytime you're getting into a new trail, look for signs. If you don't see signs, you can ride it. Typically, a, a, a trail that goes through that looks well-worn and you see no trespassing signs, those trespassing signs are for the land on both sides of the trail, but not for the trail itself. But see how that sign is oriented. Again, <laughs> any questions, don't do it. It's, it's just not worth taking that risk and go ask about it later and figure out whether or not it's it's legal uh, but that sign if you don't see a sign and someone says hey you can't ride here you can say hey well I, I didn't see a sign being respectful of course but sometimes landowners or homeowners don't know the rules and they think they own a trail that they don't there's actually an easement there so it's it's a question of just just try not to be confrontational with anyone being respectful and then figuring out what's what's legal and not. Yeah. There's just it's no, funny no how different. Yeah. It's funny how different uh, New England and some of the other parts of the country are uh, from California hmm. because we've got a lot of illegal trails here. Uh, but like in a state park, you'll have the normal legal trail system, um, and then invariably some people have built some other trails that are not officially sanctioned by the park. So it's. It's land that is part of the park, but they are trails that, you know, shouldn't exist. We're not yeah. supposed to be on. Uh, but so often uh, the case here in California is that there are so many people on the trails that the use of illegal trails actually reduces the number of trail user uh, incidents, confrontations, um, you know, so it it lowers the density across uh, all the various trails. And the funniest part of all, this is true in Annadale, some of the best built and uh, most environmentally sustainable trails are some of the illegal ones. The most rutted out, destroyed, poorly cared for trails are the legal ones. It's crazy. That's yeah. interesting. Is there a sign there so you know what the illegal ones are? Or do you know <laughs> that they're illegal just because you know the history of that area? Uh, you know, they're illegal because there's no sign. If it's, oh. if it's legal, there's a sign. <laughs> oh, interesting. So it's a process so it's, of elimination thing. Yeah. That's the opposite here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Again, a good reason to connect with your local mountain bike association, sending those guys an email and say, Hey, interested in knowing the, just how do I, how do I get on the trails? How do I know I'm doing the right thing? And then yeah. if you want a trail, you can create one. These organizations all really need volunteers to help create trails, to maintain trails. And there will be lots of opportunities for helping on trails that then create more legal uh, and sustainable trails. So yeah. Yeah. very interesting to hear how things happen in California. Yeah. And here in the North Bay, uh, Sonoma, Napa, Lake, Mendocino counties, uh, the big organization for us is REMBA, the Redwood mm. Empire Mountain Bike Association. And okay. yeah, all of those uh, various regional organizations, 
They definitely need support. They need members yeah. uh, and they need strong backs on trail days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for adding that that flavor to the question yeah. about trails. Hopefully everyone Alrighty. gets to enjoy them this this fall, winter, spring. And oh, <sighs> do it off hours. If if it's a shutdown, there's going to be a lot of walkers out there during the nice intermediate times of the day when it's when the sun's shining. So, yeah. Early in the morning, yeah. later in the evening, you might have it more to yourself. True All right, that. Patrick. So, okay. Let's hear Pace about your pick for this week. Okay. Uh, well, once again, my pick this week isn't a specific product yet again, but rather something new we are doing at the Cycling Independent. Traditionally, I haven't written about stuff on Kickstarter because, well, Kickstarter can be like what Forrest Gump said about a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. However, as some of the offerings have become more intelligently designed and produced, and some of them still have significant flaws, I figured a handy reader service might be to look at current offerings and tell people whether I think they are worth the risk or not. Some of this, honestly, is driven by the SpeedX Leopard, an aero road bike with integrated lights and computer that was marketed, really, to non-cyclists. This is a few years back. It had some significant flaws. And now that we are a few years down the road, SpeedX owners have a Facebook group in which they grouse about all the issues they are dealing with. The lights that were integrated into the seat posts that have died. Uh... The uh, the uh, stem with the computer in, integrated into it, uh, just all sorts of stuff. And then there's the fact that it had a bottom bracket that was a full centimeter higher than any other road bike on the market and as high as some of the Belgian cyclocross bikes. Crazy high. So the bike doesn't actually handle all that well. Uh, but, you know, never mind. Who really cares, right? <laughs> <laughs> So it's so, just a Facebook group for support. Yeah, yeah, it's a support group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, but it made me think, you know, somebody who knows how to kind of read between the lines or look at the tech specs, uh, you know, it might be handy to hear from us, you know, these guys are doing something interesting. This is worth the risk. Um, so in my, my first installment of this, uh, I took a look at a foldable helmet. Uh, there's an inexpensive power meter, uh, and some other stuff like a, a bike cover for, uh, for when you travel so that when you arrive at your destination, whether with a hitch rack or a roof rack, you're not peeling bugs off the frame for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These sound Uh, good. I look forward to seeing this. Uh, a lot of really exciting stuff out there. And so I'm excited to kind of keep an eye on Kickstarter and what's going on. Um, it's, it's a neat thing. So I'm, I'm excited about offering a little service that way. Yeah. What's yours? Well, my pick for this week is studded tires for everyone who lives anywhere where you expect to see ice this winter. (laughs) We've already seen ice. I had to scrape it off my windshield a couple mornings ago. It's, it's usually pretty pleasant, but still, when it gets icy, no amount of rubber on the ground is going to keep you and your bike upright. 45 North is making excellent tires, and you, you probably think that I'm getting paid directly by 45 North. I am not. 
I just think very highly of their winter products. So that's why I mention them a lot, especially this time of year. This is a really good time to invest in a set of studded tires. 45 North is making a lot of different sizes of tires, and they make 38 millimeter 700C tires for typically will fit on almost any gravel bike. These are going to help keep you upright. You can ride trails. You'll be impressed with the amount of grip that studs in your tires give you. The, the rubber, it's worth mentioning, with 45 North is supple enough that it offers a nice ride quality and they aren't too heavy. If you've used studded tires in the past, such as Nokians, they've been very heavy and really detract from the ride quality of the bike, which in the wintertime, you're maybe not particularly concerned about ride qualities or weight because you're on ice or just happy to be outside. So that's <laughs> right. less important, but still the weight of and the ride qualities of the 45 North tires are exceptional. They're very nice. The studs will pop out on occasion. You will be replacing the studs. That's something that is the consequence of having a softer rubber, keeping those studs in the tires. They are significantly easier to manage than the old studded tires of the past, which I will also mention studded tires of the past were very expensive. The 45 North tires are very, very low price. Now, if you look at studded fat bike tires, you're going to laugh at me and say, how could you possibly say a set of what $225 tires or not set a single tire, something it's over 200. I haven't looked at the price recently. So yes, Fat bike studded tires are expensive. It's mostly very expensive for a company to build studded tires. So they are going to be expensive, but it's nothing in the way of how expensive tires, studded tires of the past were. If you were to have an old fashioned studded tire, it would have been, I I think they used to be something like $225 for a single study tire that you would put on your gravel bike, which now you're getting from 45 North for something like $80. Oh so, yeah. That is a big improvement. It's it's a, it's an improvement, right? So yes, the fat, the study fat tires are still going to be expensive, but they are worth it. Staying upright on ice is worth it. <laughs> there is no price too high to me uh, that, that, Just, I mean, doesn't come anywhere near the how much is it going to cost to go to the hospital for a hip replacement or, you know what I'm saying? It's the the crashes you have on ice are harder. They hurt worse. They're faster. Uh, They are just they're bad crashes that can be completely avoided with studded tires, which will give you tons of confidence to to ride in the winter. And when it's not icy, you can still ride the studded tires. You don't have to take them on and off. We put them on your bike when it's obviously icy and then just keep them on for the winter so if you don't have ice sure you're breaking you you can't break quite as hard and quite as fast but it's not like your bike can't ride on the pavement just fine because again the the rubber is supple enough and the the tires are just going to let you ride in the winter in a in a new way without without the barriers you would typically have of Man, if there's ice out there, I've I've crashed on ice a few times and it's not fun. You don't you really don't want to do it. It's scary. It happens too fast. You have no control. So, yeah, I'm curious 
Now, uh, you talked about replacement studs. You know, yes. I, I have no knowledge of this because that wasn't a thing the last time I lived in New England. Sure. Do you have to order replacement studs on their own or do the tires come with some? And how hard is it to get them in there? That is a good question. There are replacement studs you can buy in a package, like 45 uh-huh. North will sell 25 in a package or 100. So you can buy a little or a lot. Bike shops typically will stock some of them and they have a tool, a special tool that works with the studs. So, yes, you can replace your studs. No problem. There's a lot of tricks to replacing studs. You want to do it when your tire is warm so it's more flexible. It's easier (laughs) to push the stud in. Uh, If you don't replace your studs right away, dirt and junk will get in that hole. So that makes it harder to get the Uh stud in. And if a shop sells you custom studdable tires and does not warn you about how long it's going to take you and how many wrists you're going to go through (laughs) to stud those tires, it's hard work. It's exceptionally tiring. You have to do it on the ground. You want to lay the the tire out and you want to do it on a carpet. It's hard. It takes time. It is worth buying the, the already studded tires. So if if they say, hey, this is the best of all worlds or whatever the case may be. If you buy studdable tires that are not studded yet, I I really recommend training the back or just just don't go there. And you want the most number of studs that you can get. Um, I, I don't know anyone. I'm sure I know people out there have done patterns with their studs, but I think you need all the studs you can get because you are going to lose some. Uh, the on the fat tires and three inch 27.5 plus tires, uh, 45 North's making uh, Rathchild tires. They have XL studs. They're very aggressive. These are mm. terrific. Absolutely fabulous tires. They're really wonderful, but very, very aggressive. And uh, and they're they're big studs. They're, so there's actually different studs than what you would get in the Gravdoll tires. Um, but so yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna lose the studs and and you'll just, you'll pop them in a couple here, a couple there, and and then you're good to go. You just don't want to do the whole tire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obviously speaking from experience. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, cool. Uh, any big plans for you coming up this weekend? Well, I just took a week and a day or a week and two days off from work, which means I will be working pretty much every minute of every day for the next four months. <laughs> so we'll we'll see what weekends look like uh, in, the, in the near future. I, I am hoping to get out, do some do some riding, get back on the fat bike. And we'll we'll see. I'm going to try to make a little more time for for riding. It's, but yes. How about you? <laughs> Uh, you know, just more writing as usual, uh, you know, seeing how things, uh, turn out. I've got a bike that is 95% built, mm-hmm. uh, a, a review bike. It's a pivot Mach 4 SL with Shimano's new, uh, redone Diori group, 12 speed. I lack a rear derailleur and one rotor. I'm still waiting on those two things to arrive. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you have any idea how much longer you're going to be waiting? I've been waiting more than a month as it is. I no. mean, as we've noted El, uh, yes. on other episodes of the show, stuff is in short supply. So yes. this is just a matter of when Shimano has more stock mm-hmm. and they're able to get it out to me as they allocate stuff for their primary interest, which would be dealers. Mm-hmm. So. 
at some point I'm super excited to get on the bike because it's uh, got the Fox live valve, the electronic uh, system from Fox. So, uh, you know, I'm, I look at the bike, you know, out on my balcony waiting for me to finish it up. And it's like, Oh, so <laughs> hopefully this week, those last two parts will arrive and I'll get to ride it this weekend. Crossing if my not, fingers for you. Yeah. Hey, before we go, I want to give a plug for a piece that Steve Knievel wrote for us about one of the most infamous bikes to make it into print. The former bike magazine, um, S bike. <laughs> um, the name isn't fit for the iTunes clean rating that we aspire to, which is why I'm just referring to it as the S bike. Uh, I think you can probably fill in the rest for yourself. Um, <laughs> Stevel is the perfect writer to detail the bike's exploits and its writers, uh, misadventures. There will be, it's, it's a really fun piece. Uh, I I'm super, super excited to have this for readers and Stevel's a friend of mine has been for, uh, a good 10 years now anyway. And so I'm excited to be able to present his work on the cycling independent to everyone. There will be a link for this in our show notes, uh, along with all the other links. Oh, well, Hey, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. People keep those questions coming. You all send great stuff. So if you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.